Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember this story. story, story, story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. <laughs> <laughs> It's episode 27 of the Podclarks. If you didn't know that already, I don't know how you ended up here, but well done for clicking on that button. Um, it's me, it's Mutz, it's Jay, it's G. So, here we go. Another month, another set of stories, tidbits and information. Well done uh, for saying so month for the first time correctly thank you, in thank the you. history I've, of Podclarks After intros. 27 episodes, <laughs> I've finally got it into my brain that we do it once a month. Uh, so, Steve, what stories do you have for us? I don't know where this episode's going. It's a morass of spaghetti bolognese on a page, but out of it will come some drama and excitement. And the, uh, the first tale is where my life really starts to go weird, in my opinion, for the first Ooh. time uh, in this whole episode of, of, of stories. Because um, at the end of last session, we were talking about this project that we were all involved in, that Education Saves Lives, uh, DVD education for the very poorest people in the world in lots of languages. And we talked about the language of Terek, if you remember, which comes from Kenya. And uh, it was a very small language with 50,000 people speaking it. And uh, you'll have to go back and listen to the episode to get the whole story. But basically, we made an interactive DVD in Terek for 50,000 people on HIV and AIDS. And it was amazing. And everyone agreed last episode it was amazing. And we all slapped <laughs> each other on the back, if I remember correctly. But Linked to that group of people, um, I think the chap who did the recording was a, a fellow called Kip, a Kenyan who came from that part of northern Kenya where Terek is spoken. And there's a group of people up there, uh, and one of them is called the Nandi group. And um, way back in 1905, a very long time ago, uh, when Kenya was being ruled by the British, and I should pre-warn everybody that this the British or don't come out well of this story but anyway um we were the the Kenya uh, was being ruled by the British and they had a series of sort of administrative officers who dealt with particular parts of the country and there was one uh, chap who was British who was in charge of this part of Kenya uh, where the Nandi people lived and there had they were building a railway and uh the, there was a, a dispute because uh, I think the terms and conditions weren't very good. The Nandi people were helping to build it. And there was a, a dispute between the British and the local people. And it resulted in some violence. And then peace talks were um, proposed. Now, stick with me because I do feature in this eventually. Peace, <laughs> peace talks were proposed. And um, the British... Uh, commissioner who was in charge of that area arranged to meet the tribal t- chief as he was called in those days on top of a hill for these peace talks and when they got to the top of the hill the uh, Nandi chief uh, reached out to shake the hand of the British official and whereupon the British official pulled out his pistol and shot him dead <gasps> and then they killed all his uh, entourage now he later said that he believed when he reached out to shake his hands he thought 
he was going to get a weapon uh, to attack him. Uh, you can make your own judgment about that, but that's the background to the story I'm now going to tell you. Because as part of that um, encounter, uh, another unglorious part of that encounter, the British official uh, confiscated the sticks, the tribal sticks that were the badge of honour of the chief who he'd just killed. And he took them as a sort of souvenir, um, which is a practice that had happened all around the world. And he took them away and they became something that he then took back to Britain uh, later in his his life when he retired. So uh, he didn't know anything much about these sticks and they got lost somewhere. So spin forward to 2003 or four or something like that, I suppose. Um, and this fellow Kip, who was from the Nandi area of Kenya, uh, and who I'd worked with to make this DVD, rang me up one day and he said, oh, have you got a, a did you say you've got a brother in North Wales? So I said, yeah, 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 I've got a brother in North Wales. He said, well, <laughs> if you're ever going up to North Wales, could I have a lift? Because I want to call in and see somebody on the way in Shrewsbury. So I said, sure, in fact, we're going in a few weekends time. So uh, we set off and we got to Shrewsbury and on the way, I learned that the reason he was going to Shrewsbury because he had discovered that the, I think it was the grandson, or it might have been, no, it was the son of that British official who had confiscated those sticks, was living in Shrewsbury. And he was retired and he lived in a very ordinary house and we called in to see him. And this man had been made aware of the importance of these sticks. And Kip had agreed with him that he would go and discuss whether he could could recover them for the Nandi tribe. So uh, I was a chauffeur and took him to this very ordinary house in Shrewsbury. And um, we had a cup of tea. And then the man went upstairs and brought down three sticks. And Kip then got on the train to go back to Warwick. And I went on up to, uh, to, 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 to my brothers in Colwyn Bay. Nothing dramatic there particularly, except that I, I had no idea really of the, the... I didn't know anything about that story where it started back in 1905 or any of that. I just knew we got sticks that I needed to take back to Warwick when I'd finished the weekend with my brother. So off we went to, to Colwyn Bay. Uh, had a nice weekend. I went for a walk in the woods. The car was left in the woods. I don't think we locked it. You know, it was an old car, nothing valuable in it. And eventually arrived back in, in Warwick. And uh, Kit rang me up and said, have you got the sticks? I said, yes, I have. I said, I'll leave them in the shed uh, of my office and then you can pick them up whenever you want. Sort of, you don't necessarily, I don't have to be there. No, no, no. He said, don't do that. No, don't do that. They're, they're far too important for that. So I said, oh, OK, well, we met, arranged to meet and he came and he collected these sticks and he handled them, you know, very carefully. The next time these sticks featured in my uh, life was when I was on the train to London uh, few months later, maybe a year later, I think. And in the Metro, that free magazine that you pick up at stations, there was a little article and it, the headline read something like, uh, Shrewsbury man agrees to return uh, tribal sticks to Kenya. And then it explained how um, these sticks had been, uh, a special case had been made in metal with a glass frame uh, so they could be seen and all welded shut and secure out of stainless steel 
so that nobody would ever be able to touch them ever again. And they were going to be escorted back to Kenya. uh, My friend was going to take them and there was going to be a sort of security detail with them. And then I later learned that when they arrived in Kenya, 3,000 people turned out to meet, to meet, to meet these wow. things. <laughs> so, and you had no idea that it was that level of importance? Of course not. I mean, I, I suppose I didn't really know the story. Otherwise, I might have, have, have treated them with more respect, certainly. But, um, uh, I mean, I, I shuddered to think of the way... We, I mean, it was almost like we might have used them to go for a walk um, mm. in, in North Wales because they were just in the back of the car. What did they um, look like? Well, I don't think I can really remember that. They, they were they're mm. nothing particularly dramatic, shall I say. Um, mm. I think one of them could have been carved... Not, it could have been just like a branch, really. Um, mm. But they are a badge of royalty in that mm. particular group of people. And it would, it's like the crown jewels. <laughs> yeah, put, yeah. put it in the back of the car <laughs> so I'm very repentant about all of that but I mean it's, it's another one of those quirky things of, how did I get involved in any of that really, really? <laughs> seriously so last time we mentioned about Helen and she will feature a lot uh, Helen and her husband Derek uh, this lady who was a bit like the Queen who recruited me into this charity project um, and Derek her husband was an interesting chap because he was very quiet uh, but he was very high level in the senior in the civil service um and at one time he used to have weekly meetings with margaret thatcher uh, as part of his role he was a commissioner for the inland revenue hmrc now and um there were only ever seven commissioners at one time so he was he was big big guy in terms of the british economy and uh, and taxation and it was his specialist subject um and uh, i asked him one time i said what's it like um meeting with Margaret Thatcher uh, and he said oh he said well the best thing to do is to, to keep out of her sight and try not to let her notice you because the minute she notices you she has a very habit of asking very awkward questions <laughs> the questions <laughs> the sort of questions that you don't really want to answer so um, but he he said she was a very a very sharp woman but um, the, the reason I mentioned him and being such a tax expert is because you may remember a television program called 15 to 1 did you ever see that? Or oh, you didn't ever see no. that? Is that like is that like a game show? It is a game show, a quiz show effectively. And it's mm. it's fifteen people and they gradually get narrowed down to three and then to one. Um and it's a it's a general knowledge, you know, there's yeah. no sort yeah. of specialist subject. Anyway, he <laughs> I was I was ill, very unusually I was ill and at home um from work one day and turned on daytime television. I thought, oh fifteen to one, that'd be interesting. And there was Derek, Taylor Thompson. <laughs> in the in the lineup, and I I and that alone was astonishing to me. And he got to the final three, and he's very knowledgeable person, very highly educated person. And you know, I thought he's in with he, yeah, he's probably going to win this. Anyway, then he got a question on tax. Would you believe? <laughs> and he got it wrong. No, <laughs> he was he, he he got out of fifteen to one on a tax question that he knew the answer to backwards but just his mind went blank <laughs> so, mm-hmm. well so. Inter- interim question for for you lot is if you could pick one quiz show to go on which one would it be oh i don't know that i know quiz shows well enough to be able to say. I, I also i'm useless in a pub quiz so i'm probably useless in no do you know what do you know what <laughs> if i have full choice you, which you, you literally do <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> but and at full choice, I'm extending to mean what TV show and not what quiz TV show. <laughs> I would do that cube one where you have various... The cube. The cube. You have various physical, like, physics tasks to complete. Yes. And yeah, reaction like times. I think I'd be really good at that. that. Yeah. Mine would be, who wants to be a millionaire? Is it who wants oh. to be a yeah, yeah, I love yeah. Th- I love that drama of you know, and also you've got get outs and you can risk things and you might yeah, just yeah yeah no very good, and my second choice would be it's a deal a deal or no deal sorry it's a deal <laughs> <laughs> deal or no deal I wow. thought it was such a clever such a clever format I really liked mm. it it requires no skill like no no knowledge I mean no sort of um, no because because you're just you're just of the draw. You're, well, it's sort of luck of the draw, and then it becomes a kind of judgment game of like but, whether you stick or whether mm, you twist. What I liked about it was that there was a sort of community developed between the box holders over time. I thought it was really interesting how you know they used to support the person who was going. It was not so competitive, really. In the end, it was like uh, I, I thought very interesting format. Oh, were we any more on the quiz shows? Mutz. Well, it's just well, just whether Mutz has a has a quiz show oh. choice. Yeah, I think I'm fairly rubbish at quizzes. That's where um, I get it from. You don't. You don't need to. You don't need to win the quiz. By the way, it's just. It's just which one would you like to go on? What, oh, which one would you what like would, to? Like, go what on. What sort of format is one that kind of scratches the right part of your brain? Yeah, I think actually <laughs> I quite like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire as well. Mm. I watched Slumdog Millionaire the other other day you know. oh yeah yeah reminded me about it it finishes with a version of that doesn't it i've forgotten that it's well, the, the whole, whole thing yeah yeah it's about how did he win it how does he know all the answers yeah and it goes through with him giving the answers mm. um great yeah well i'll put in all of your applications and you shall hear back <laughs> shortly <laughs> thank you can't wait so just back to um helen and derek for a bit they were members of the oxford and cambridge club in um, London, and this because they uh, Derek went to uh, Oxford, I think, and um, partners. Or was it Cambridge? Well, it's one of those two. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I'm only mentioning this because it was like an introduction to a whole different worlds that I had no real idea existed, and and this will come back again and again in in future episodes. But the the first time I was asked to go to a meeting there, I I turned up in a t-shirt and um, smart casual trousers and. I had some shoes on, obviously. Um, but, the, but when I got to the door, the doorman there looked at me. I mean, I was carrying uh, nothing apart from a small satchel or something. And the chap said to me, literally, he said to me, uh, did we have a jacket, sir? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I didn't know you weren't allowed in without a jacket. Um, uh, so I said, no, we didn't have a jacket, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, but fortunately, they have a they have a they have a get out clause, which is they they store the jackets. I, I'm making this up, but I'm guessing if people who've died on site or something like that. But anyway, they've got some they've got some jackets up their sleeve. And he then went <laughs> and, and positioned. That's such a good turn of phrase. They. It went off and found me one, which was, I mean, I can, I'm a 38 slim, or was then, anyway. And this would be like for a 46 short portly person, I think. <laughs> and um, so they'd much rather you look totally ridiculous with sleeves hanging off your ends of your hands mm. and 
than, than you dare to go in without a jacket. I mean, that's how nonsensical the whole place was. Um, but anyway, I was, was allowed in then. And on a subsequent occasion in the restaurant, sometime, quite a long time later, um, it, was, it was about 87 degrees. What is, it was very hot anyway. It was a hot summer's day and there's no air conditioning mm. in that place. And it was an old, and it was a very oppressively hot. And I just slipped my jacket over the back of the chair. And within a second, a waiter had come up and said, could you put your jacket on, sir? I mean, it's like there's a Hawkeye was watching everyone to see if they took their jackets so off. So weird. Yeah. So anyway, that was all by way of uh, talking, leading into the fact that Helen had recruited me to this charity. We'd got the mechanisms of making the DVDs and we needed to have a launch. Um, in fact, Helen was very fond of launches and we had a lot of launches in all sorts of different co- contexts. <laughs> One of them I'll tell you about next time was, was in number 10 Downing Street. But uh, trailer, trailer alert, or trailer, <laughs> teaser alert. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, some trailer. <laughs> but actually, the the launch I want to tell you about today is the launch in India, um, which uh, the first uh, discs that we produced were in Indian languages, six Indian languages, and at that stage we had. I think we mentioned this in a previous episode. We had um, uh, settled on putting. DVD players into containers, shipping containers converted into classrooms. And we had made two of these, uh, 20 foot shipping containers. We put some desks in them, some windows in them, uh, kitted them out with a power supply or or sockets um, and put DVD players and screens uh, all in them. And these two of these were to be sent out to two locations in India where we had, uh, had formed partnerships with local groups who were working amongst women particularly, but women and children. And they were to use these, um, these containers for, for, for watching and learning, as it were. And one of those groups was called Action India, which was run by, uh, uh, amongst other people, my good friend Ajay. And um, <clears throat> they invited us to go and launch in Delhi, which we, we, we duly did. And we sent this shipping container off on a ship, funnily enough, uh, <laughs> to be... Uh, shipped to uh, Delhi and then it was to be trucked to the site where we were going to have this launch party um, except it got stuck in customs and um, uh, there was a, a delay and the, the, the container was still in customs on the evening before the launch was happening the next morning and, and this launch had been widely publicised the Minister of Health for India, which is a billion people, it's, I mean, it's a huge politician, had been invited. He hadn't responded, but he had been invited. It was that sort of level of launch. And um, <clears throat> the site had been decorated. There were chairs, loads of chairs out. Um, the containers had been um, uh, painted up with um, logos and strap lines. And uh, and, and you, you may know, um, it used to happen in Europe, but it still happens in India, where if there's a new film is released from from uh, uh, Bollywood, for example, um, rather than distributing posters, they use local artists to draw a, a poster of the film. So you, you'll mm. find overnight they they paint the faces and and the the font of the uh, of the of the, the film's title, and it's it's like a printed poster more or less, except it's done with a paintbrush and paint, and they're very skilled. They're very skilled. So one of those was done um, with a picture of the um, uh, dignitary who was going to receive it. And there was big, lots of stuff going on and amplifiers and videos and all sorts of things. Um, 
but the container was stuck in customs. So we did eventually get it out at about 10 to midnight. And then uh, we spent the, the whole night fixing, wiring it up, making the, unpacking the DVDs, making sure it all worked. And uh, as a matter of interest, in that party was uh, Andrew, my phony friend from episode nine, I think it was. Um, Helen and Derek were both there. Uh, Reynolds, who's reappeared recently in my life in another context, who's somebody who just heard about the, the charity, asked if he could help and paid his own way to come out. And, help. and we were all there screwing things and unscrewing things <laughs> in the middle of the night. And it finally was ready at about sort of 10 o'clock in the morning. And the thing was to start at 11. <laughs> so it was <laughs> nail biting. And that we'd heard at that point that the Minister of Health wasn't coming. But then we heard he was which changed everything in terms of... Uh, if you can imagine the Queen, or the King now, um, coming somewhere, that, that everything is disrupted because such a big person's coming. And um, so a top table was set up, and there was the top table, and Helen, as uh, chairman of the organisation from Britain, was there. Ajay, as um, person from Action India, was there. I was there as the person who was going to make the presentation and do the, do the speech. And the Minister of Health was was to sit next to me um, on this top table. Uh, and, I mean, I didn't really s- sort of think about the implications of any of this uh, because we're all so busy. But anyway, he duly turned up with a fleet of Land Rovers with machine guns hanging out the side, um, security guards, um, people wanting to walkie-talkies. I don't know, there's probably 50 people and, and one, one place for the man to sit. Mm-hmm. So it was all... Uh, it disrupted everything anyway. Um, and uh, the interesting thing about it all was that uh, Bill Gates happened to be in Delhi that week and he had been talking about the need to fight HIV and AIDS which was extremely topical for our launch of our project in fact because it was all in the newspapers and Bill Gates had said um, the the Indian government says there's 2 million cases of of AIDS in India there's not, there's 30 million at least uh, or more, we don't know and of course, the Minister of Health was very upset by that because it was it was kind of implying that the the government was um, was concealing data. Uh, so anyway, it turned out that unbeknown to any of this, the Minister of Health, who was a former actor, uh, decided he would use our launch party to counter this spat that was going on in the newspapers with Bill Gates. And I mean, <laughs> in a sort of development that you couldn't make up if you tried. Um, uh, when the minister stood up to speak, um, the TV cameras came live, big arc lights, uh, microphones, and he was speaking to the nation, the Indian nation, Whoa. on our table. And there was I sitting beside him. And his, his speech basically was nothing to do with our launch party. It was all about Bill Gates talking nonsense about how many cases of HIV, of AIDS are in India. So on the scheduled programme... The Minister of Health was to sit down and then the next celebrity guest to stand up was to be me. Uh, and <laughs> so the, the, pro- the probability was, was that the live TV cameras would at least run for a bit to see what was going to happen because nobody really knew what this whole launch party was. So I, he then sat down to riotous applause and people talking to walkie-talkies and everything. And, um, and I got up and at that point... The, the news went out that the minister had stopped speaking. Everybody thought the show's over. So the caterers that were all arranged around in, in sort of caravans to feed everybody who'd come um, as part of the, the do, 
um, all turned on their soup warmers and their toasters and their <laughs> um, samosa makers. Oh dear. And when they did that, there's we later found they all tracked back to a, a thing in the field where literally two wires were twisted together with tape around them. And, and <laughs> that was all going to one fuse somewhere in a million miles away. And that fuse tripped and everything. So, so by this time, um, I think I must have got the timing right when I said the wrong, because it was getting dark. Um, so it must have been an afternoon thing. Because uh, if you watch the video of this whole event... You've got this big Minister of Health and he's sort of preening himself and, and gesticulating and it's all very dramatic. And then I stand up, I open my <laughs> mouth and everything goes black and dark. <laughs> and you, you can just see a, you just see a little shadow um, bobbing around, but no sound because the microphone has gone, has gone off. The oh, comes. no. What did you do? What happened? Well, I mean, it was all a lost cause in terms of me mm. making any sort of impact. But, I mean, to be honest, it was I wouldn't have made any impact anyway well, after I'd that Well, I'd say being thing. able to turn all of the lights off just by opening your mouth is quite a good <laughs> That's what it looked like, literally like that. And it, it, was, it was my biggest gig and it, it failed on the first gasp sort of thing. So. Oh. But uh, anyway, I mean, the, the long and the short of it all was that he pushed off. You know, we made lots of contacts with the invited guests. The container was uh, locked up, put on the lorry and sent off to its, its location. And, um, and there it worked. And uh, I know it worked because four or five years later, I had a telephone call. And this is a story I've told already, but I'm going to tell it again because it's a good fit. I had a telephone call from somebody who worked for, I'm going to forget the name of it now, um, a tea company anyway that, that operates in the north of Britain and markets to buys tea in India and packages it and sells it in Britain. Um, and uh, this gentleman on the phone said he had been on a tea buying uh, visit to North India and on one of the tea gardens he'd come across a shipping container and it had got a starfish, because if you remember we called the Starfish mm. Initiative, starfish on it, and he'd gone to see what on earth this was and he found inside it uh, women sitting at the desks doing DVD lessons. So bear in mind, this is unmonitored, um, unpushed from our end, and it's years later. And he was ringing to say, I was so impressed with what was going on. He said, we'd like to make a donation to your charity. So, oh, wow. Uh, and I think having spent my life in charity world, you know, you, you're always begging people to support a cause. You know, please, mm. you're trying to persuade them. You're showing, doing dog and pony shows. You're doing all sorts of stuff to try and try and get people to give money. And this chap had, had seen the product with his own eyes, made his own judgment, and they, they gave us um, about a couple of, thousand, couple of thousand pounds, I think, which was, was fantastic. So, wow. So it turns really out, cool. It's really cool, and it turns out you don't need to be able to speak at a, at a big meeting to get, to, <laughs> yeah. to get results. But you do need to have left some branding on the side of the container, which is a smart move. Yeah, exactly. Astonishing. I mean, the whole story sounds like it's been made up. I don't think I did. Um, I'm pretty sure. I did, so. <laughs> yeah. So I, that was a really good launch for that that particular thing, and uh, we came away feeling good about it all. But again, it was another example of just in the nick of time. And when I left my last job, which you remember, those of you dear listeners who've been following this intently, I was I'd left it with nothing to go to, and this turned up. But when I left that job, they gave me some Oscars as a parting gift. 
And I can't remember what most of them were, but one of them um, was the Oscar for the best ability to pull a rabbit out of a hat at the last minute with no apparent, prepara- <laughs> with no apparent preparation. So, and which is a little bit unfair, but anyway, yeah, there, yeah. There, there, is a, there is a point there. Um, but this was a very good example of how the container nearly wasn't there and, and really the whole thing would have been, would have been hopeless without that container. So, and in fact, I'm still in touch with, with Ajay, uh, um, today I, I, I contact him from time to time so it's been a very good link but you could you could exactly reframe that Oscar as being an excellent problem solver mm-hmm. thank you yes <laughs> I, I think the other Oscars were generally pretty pretty complimentary and that was a kind of like a, a humour one to throw in at the yeah, end yeah yeah just good to win Oscars I think I've never won an Oscar before no, no same I've never won an Oscar mm. anyone in the family Steve well done I, the other thing that that sort of Helen and Derek led into were, were that they were very well connected. So um, it's always handy if you're trying to launch a project from scratch to have somebody who's influential behind you. And they seem to have dozens of people, um, really, because of their background, I suppose. Um, and Helen was was you know past master at persuading people. Um, to 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 get involved uh, and I think I've said before she didn't really take no for an answer but um there were a whole number of lords that were involved um and we had various events at the house of lords um she thought of writing to chelsea clinton uh who at that stage early 2000s was a student at oxford um and uh, chelsea at that stage uh, wasn't really so much on the world view, although her father was was president, um, or had been. Not sure when he finished, but, but anyway, and 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 she ended up getting involved. Um, and uh, teaser trailer spoiler alert: at some future episode, I'll tell you about how I had lunch with her in New York, which is a very exciting story. But uh, <laughs> you'll have to listen to episode thirty-five in case it crops up before then. Um, but I, I think actually that's. That's the main story I wanted to tell you today because it was such a good one. I think I'm just going to leave that there unless uh, others have got yeah. uh, memories to chip in. No, that's great. That sounds very fun, interesting and bizarre anecdotes. Yeah. As we as it's... we like to expect on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's the sub, sub line. Uh, sub, <laughs> what's the word? It's the tagline. The tagline, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting remembering that the that Education Saves Lives started off with the, those containers because I'd completely forgotten that and mm. obviously um, streamlined that down to the pure resource now, um, which is something I imagine we can talk more about in future, but it's just interesting to remember how something, you know, really loud siren going past us. Yeah. It adds drama to the... It adds immediacy to the recording, I think. <laughs> I think we quickly realised that the, the containers were expensive to ship and, I mean, the, the thought had been there would be a secure environment for the equipment. Um, but actually what we discovered over the years is that because the local partners really valued the product, the, the DVDs themselves and the lessons, they tended to protect the equipment. And now this is quite unusual when you send sort of what's seen as high value equipment into places where people don't have much money. They're very vulnerable, that equipment. And, you know... People used to say they'll never last, but um, we we found the reverse was true. And there was a, 
one of the other containers in India went to a um, a place where there was a an order of nuns running a school for for, for young women, and uh, the, <laughs> they they knitted or crocheted I think it was actually little um, DVD portable DVD player shaped covers to put over mm. the DVDs to protect them from the dust, so that when we dropped <laughs> in sometime later we. We just found these brightly coloured little tea cosy type things. And it was, I mean, it's just a symbol, really, of, of how they valued them. So, uh, interesting. And in fact, while I'm on that role, later on, which we can talk about another time, uh, we sent one to South Africa. And that went to an area where people said to me, it will be looted within a week. You won't ever see that equipment again. But um, as you may remember, we visited that very container on New Year's Day, I think it was, um, when we went together to South Africa. And it was it was all intact. Everything was there. There was a schedule on the wall of how they used it. And it smelled of polish. That's what I remember most. Was it, <laughs> it, was actually, it was actually being kept clean. So. Do you remember going to, into that? Or was that a vague... I'd, I'd forgotten that we'd been to a container. Mm. But actually, now that you say it... I I can remember. I feel like I can remember it. It was in a school. Mm. Uh, it was in a school, and on the way to it, we stopped and oh, I stopped. I'm not sure if you were in my car because we had two cars, but I stopped and picked up two lads. I don't know. They were twelve or nine or something, uh, who were thumbing a lift. And mm. while they were in the car, I said, "Oh, do you go to the school?" And they said, "Oh, yes." And they had both. Um, used the container and had seen the lessons and actually I think I asked them one of the questions that appears mm-hmm. in the quiz on it and they knew the answer so it was I mean that was like mm-hmm. another, that was amazing another, another thing you couldn't set it up you really couldn't um yeah and yet it's worth uh, to me it's worth a thousand kind of evaluation reports where somebody goes from outside and spends a week trying to work out whether it's working or not it's just those little yeah. anecdotes that are unrehearsed and unscripted in a way that's uh they're so good definitely Fabulous. Well, thanks very much, T, for another cracker. Yeah, and it's always, it's always fun to hear those little sort of stories and anecdotes that, you know, maybe aren't necessarily in the timeline, but just yes. other, little, other little interesting stories. Mm. But I think that's the whole reason we started this escapade in the first place, wasn't it? To capture some of those. Yeah. Well, it's, as I often say, I love reliving it. <laughs> well, on that note, I think this is episode 27 Wrapped, sorted, and tied up with a lovely little bow. <laughs> Signed, sealed, and delivered to your Straight ears. Straight to your ears. <laughs> Can I say goodbye first? Go on then. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm always last. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I'm sorry, that was so mean. No, let's wipe that from the record. Uh, no, so it's, leave it it's, in. Uh, straight, straight into your ears, and um, who would like to say goodbye first? Me, please. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye.